Many of you are familiar with the name David Jeremiah, pastor, author, well-known speaker. He once told a story about the founder of World Vision, which many of you recognize as the International Christian Relief Agency. In spite of having advanced leukemia and actually being very close to his own death, Bob Pierce traveled to Indonesia to visit a ministry colleague of his. As the two of them were walking through a small village, they came upon a young girl that was lying on the ground on a bamboo mat next to a river. She was dying of cancer and had very little time to live. At that very sight, Pierce became indignant. He demanded to know why this young girl was not being treated in a clinic. His friend explained to him that she lived deep into the jungle. She knew that she was in her final days of life, and she wanted to be where it was cool and where it was somewhat familiar to her. As Pierce gazed at her, however, the compassion within him began to grow to the point that he got down on his knees in the, mu- in the mud. He took one of her hands, began to gently stroke that hand, and then, knowing even that the girl would not understand a word that he had to say, Pierce began to pray for her. After his prayer was complete, the girl said something to him, and he certainly was not able to understand what she was saying either, and so he asked his friend what the girl had just said. He replied, she said, if I could only sleep again, If I could only sleep again. Apparently, her pain was so great that it did not enable her to rest or to sleep whatsoever. No relief. And it is at that point that tears began to stream forth from Bob Pierce's eyes. Then he reached into his pocket and he took out a bottle of sleeping pills, the ones that his doctor had prescribed for him because his leukemia had reached such an advanced stage that he could not sleep at night because of the degree of pain that he was under. He handed the bottle to his friend and said, you make sure this young lady gets a good night's sleep as long as the pills last. Pierce was 10 days away from where he would be able to refill that prescription. And so it meant that he would be having 10 restless, sleepless, and painful nights of his own. And so we could say that that day, Bob Pierce's compassion cost him greatly. And yet he even acknowledged that in the midst of that particular situation and his own suffering in those sleepless nights that he then entered into, he said that God infused him with a supernatural sense of satisfaction that he had done the right thing. And isn't it striking how emotionally moved we can become by examples of people exhibiting compassion to others who are in some level of great need? Uh, Throughout history, though, no story of compassion can match what God has done for us, what he has done on our behalf 
in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what our focus is going to be upon today. The service will be able to culminate in our observance of communion, the Lord's Supper. Pastor Jeff noted a moment ago that today we are concluding our summer sermon series on the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. In other words, we're talking about the heart that drives his action on our behalf. And this series is really born out of Pastor Jeff's desire that we know God not only for what he has done, but that we also know him for who he is in his person. Who he is in his heart, both are extremely important, yes, integrally related, but it is great that we have taken this uh, pause through the summer from the book series, books of the Bible, to really focus in on the heart of God. Today, we're examining one of the most dominant features of God's heart, and that is his compassion. There can be no doubt, if one reads very far into the pages of Scripture, that the God of the Bible is a God of compassion. That is to say, he does suffer with us. He knows and experiences our pain and our sorrow, and very importantly, he not only knows it, but he acts to alleviate that pain and that sorrow because he cares deeply for our well-being. And so I think it's fair to say that we could almost rewrite, kind of over to the side in the side column of John 3.16, we could say it is that God had such compassion on the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was the heart of God, it was his compassion that drove such action. And then you see in your notes that I believe a very important statement to understanding the compassion of God, and that is that ever since the fall of mankind, God's compassion has restricted his judgment and it has extended his mercy giving fallen mankind, in case you want a name with that, put my name, put your name in there, but giving mankind, fallen mankind, the opportunity to repent and to be saved from the penalty of rebellion against and rejection of God. That describes me, that describes you, and then wonder of all wonders and God's compassionate reach into our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ who took that penalty for our rejection of God, our rebellion against him. So throughout biblical history, God has shown compassion on his people when they were in need despite our rebellion against and rejection of God. He himself proclaimed to Moses on Mount Sinai to be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. That's God's statement about himself from Mount Sinai. Psalm 116, verse 5, declares, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Isaiah reminded Israel, The Lord longs to be gracious to you and therefore waits on high to have compassion. He longs to shower us with compassion, according to Isaiah 30, verse 18. It was the prophet Joel that encouraged his countrymen in chapter 2, verse 13, now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. We're starting to pick up on a theme here. We're going to continue that theme. James reminded, in, now in the New Testament, reminded his suffering readers 
And my, were they suffering? If you know the context of the scripture there and some of the, the persecution involved, he says the Lord is full of compassion. There's an abundant supply. There's enough for all of us. He is full of compassion and is merciful. The Bible says that God dispenses compassion according to his sovereign will. He said to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion upon whom I will show compassion. Furthermore, we know from Scripture that God's compassion is unfailing. Aren't you glad about that? It is unfailing. And in spite of God's devastating judgment on Israel, Jeremiah could still affirm this in Lamentations, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Significantly, God's compassion inclines him to forgive sin. After David sinned with Bathsheba, he cried out to God in Psalm 51.1, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Uh, on the entire basis, God, of your compassion, would you blot out my transgressions, for they are many. A little addition by me to that text. If that's <laughs> not in yours, don't get a, another version of the Bible. Psalm 78 verse 38 states that it was God's compassion that prompted him to forgive Israel's sin. It keeps pointing back to his compassion, his compassion. That's the heart of God. That's what drives what he does, is that kind of a heart. Isaiah 55, 7 promises repentant sinners that God will show compassion on them and pardon their sins. Much of us are, many of us are much more familiar with the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, which compellingly illustrates God's compassion for sinners. Let's move a little bit further with this theme, more scripture. God has especially demonstrated compassion for Israel. 2 Kings 13, 23, the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and turned to them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would not destroy them or cast them from his presence until now. Significantly, that even when God's judgment sent his people into exile, in other words, this is God taking the initiative, yes, working through human agents, but he's responsible for them going into exile as a result of their sin and in consequence of their sin. But it says he still showed them compassion. That, according to 2 Chronicles 39, 30, verse 9, and Psalm 102, verse 13. How about is God incarnate? We know this. We're celebrating that in this service today with communion, the way that the Lord Jesus Christ manifested his own power was through his compassion. Throughout Christ's ministry, he continually demonstrated sympathy for desperate and despairing sinners. There again, that is us outside of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Desperate despairing sinners but God, right? 
Matthew 9.36 notes that Jesus felt compassion for the crowds because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 15, verse 32, notes that before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on their way. We know from Matthew 20, verse 34, that when Jesus encountered two blind men, he was moved with you're going to guess it, right? What do you think he was moved with? You guys are listening incredibly carefully. Maybe it's a combination of that and being incredibly smart, but you, you, man, you nailed it. And he touched their eyes. Immediately, they regained their sight and followed him. Then from Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 40, as well as verse 41, when a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean, the Lord once again was moved with compassion and stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And many of you will recall that Jesus even halted a funeral procession for a widow's only son, raised that son from the dead because he felt compassion for that widow. Luke 7, verse 13. I think you got the idea now that this morning we are highlighting a commonly known uh, quality of, of God known as compassion, but we're also looking at a very commonly known passage that illustrates the compassion of God incarnate, Christ himself. This unique importance of the feeding of the 5,000 is underscored by the fact that it is the only one of Jesus' miracles that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And in each of those four Gospels, it is important that it is located in terms of the sequence of events, because that's when it happened, but it is right at the climax of Christ's earthly ministry. And to best understand the significance of that miracle, as Pam read it from Scripture a moment ago, we need to bring into clear focus the, the backdrop and specifically the timing of it. That timing is indicated in what Pam read. Specifically, John the Baptist had just become and died as the first martyr for Jesus Christ. Jesus seized the occasion to pull away from the crowds and spend time alone with his disciples. He wanted to prepare them for what was coming very soon in his own life, specifically his death on a cross. He knew that the disciples were not ready to face that yet. He also knew that they were not ready to face what would happen to them after what happened to him. And part of what would be happening to them could easily deter them from their mission of the founding of Christ's church, laying a proper foundation for that church. Beyond this, Jesus simply needed to be refreshed. That is why he pulled away. That's why he wanted to pull apart from the crowd. The physical demands of his rigorous teaching and healing schedule, an incredibly rigorous schedule that he had had of late, uh, added to the growing opposition of his enemies, add to that the fickleness of the multitudes that 
followed him virtually everywhere, but largely did not care about him other than what they could see him do. There, it was, he was the greatest act in town at that time, and they wanted to see it, and it was free. Uh, you add to that the continued misunderstanding and the immaturity of the disciples. Jesus' energy had been drained out quite significantly. Remember, he was fully human as well as being fully God. The text informs us that when the multitudes learned that Jesus was going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, some went by foot. We heard that in the text. Some also, from other texts we know, went by boat. Many of the people that still weren't done with Jesus wanted to see some uh, more miracles performed. They actually arrived at the setting that this miracle took place before Christ and his disciples. So from the combined gospel accounts of this event, we realize that most of the people in the crowd were there because of selfish motives. I've made some brief reference to that, unpack it a little bit. Some were there because they wanted to be healed. I mean, you can't fault them if you're experiencing some uh, significant health challenges, right? Um, some wanted him to heal some family members. Some wanted to just simply watch him heal people. They had never seen anything like it, and, and they were absolutely amazed and astonished, not only at the authority of the teaching, but at the miracles that he was performing. And yet others that were a part of that crowd, and a significant number were in this category, that was individuals that hoped that Jesus would finally prove himself to be the Messiah who would use his power to finally, it's about time, overthrow their hated Roman oppressors. It was no mystery to Jesus that most of the people that were there really didn't care about him, weren't desirous of acknowledging him for who he truly was, in yielding their lives to him, but he pursued, even though he was tired, even though he was desperately longing for rest and refreshment, something about that compassion. He was so deeply moved by the suffering, by the confusion, by the despair, by the spiritual lostness of those who gathered at the seashore. And so in a remarkable demonstration of power as well as mercy recorded in Matthew 14, 14, Jesus revealed the loving heart of God by extending his compassion toward people that he knew would not understand or believe and who he knew would ultimately reject him and be a part of the crowd that wanted Barabbas to live and Jesus to die. Jesus knew that. But with a heart of compassion that he had, that was not enough to deter him from what he knew God was calling him to do and what he wanted to do because of his heart. We've got to understand that as Jesus compassionately healed people's bodies, his infinitely greater concern was to heal their souls, to free them from sin's dominion and penalty. And we can thank him for that, or this meal would have no meaning today. If we were to unpack the original language of the text, and particularly with that word compassion, which I would love to have the time to do, we would discover that compassion 
properly understood is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow. Yes, that feeling is there, the deep sympathy and sorrow, but it's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the pain and remove its cause. To do something about those feelings. Well, the compassionate and miraculous feeding of the large crowd did indeed follow the healings, according to the text. It was late enough in the day that the people in the crowd would be very, very hungry. Uh, Furthermore, the people were far from the nearest town, and if we really had a knowledge of the precise count of the number of people there, there is no nearest town in that area that could feed that many people. The scholars of Scripture estimate that if you add to the 5,000 count, which that counted the men, not making any comment upon that, but then if you add to that the women and the children, it is very likely that there were 25,000 people present that were fed with very few elements that day. It's a good thing, Jeff, you don't have to make that stretch to that many people (laughs) today. But as demonstrated by all of Jesus' miracles, it is the nature of God to care for those who are in need. Whenever Jesus healed an infirmity, whenever he cast out demons, whenever he raised somebody from the dead, whenever he fed a hungry multitude, he was putting God's compassion on display. And as the Lord himself said on the night before his death, John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You see in your notes this statement that to satisfy a large crowd's hunger required compassion and supernatural power, but to save their souls for eternity required something far more, and that is supernatural sacrifice. Today we have the privilege of what you might say ceremonially, symbolically affirming and celebrating that supernatural sacrifice. The fact that Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross to bear the full weight of divine punishment for the sins of all who would ever trust in him and his atoning sacrifice that paid the penalty for their sins, our sins, in full. Now the question that we should never try to avoid in any message. I forget, uh, maybe last week Tony's was, so what, is the way he put it. This is an amplified version of that statement, of her question, so what? What is a proper response to what we have learned about the compassionate heart of Jesus? So what do we do about it? What are you going to do about it? What do you feel I should do about that? And I believe a great starting point is Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What what Paul is simply saying there, and I'm echoing, is that as those who carry Christ's name, we are to imitate his behavior. Doesn't that seem right? A lot of scripture that would 
support the fact that that seems right and is right. In other words, we're to cooperate with God's Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers in Jesus Christ as he reproduces in us the godliness that we saw demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ and in his character. And what better way to do that than to demonstrate his compassionate, self-sacrificing love to other people. It's at this point, as we're winding the message down and preparing for the communion elements, I want to speak in these closing moments to those of you who do not feel qualified to show Christ's compassion by reaching out to people who are hurting, reaching out to people who are in some degree of pain, hurt, trauma, frustration, discouragement, distress. You're going that, yeah, I know I should. You know what, I really want to be faithful in that. It's just not there. I'm not the guy. I'm not the gal. Thank God there's some other really spiritual people in my church. I'm sure God's calling them to do that kind of stuff. It may be, let's be honest with one another for a moment. Um, Perhaps you're very fearful, or you have speech problems like I just did there, uh, of entering into the difficulties of other people. I wouldn't apply for a moment that that is an easy thing or a natural tendency for even a follower of Jesus Christ to do. It is a supernatural tendency. The work of the Spirit in us compels us, draws us, invites us to enter into the hurt and the pain of others. Maybe it's because you feel you got enough troubles, you got enough issues, you got to, you've made enough messes in your life, like, what am I supposed to do? Where I don't belong going and trying to help somebody else. I need somebody else to help me out and get, help me get it figured out. It may be that you're worried about saying the wrong thing to a person who needs compassion. I just don't want to say the wrong thing. It'll make the situation so much worse for the person. I love them too much to put them in a situation like that. It may be, and probably this might describe all of those and any more that might describe it for you and me. It may be just a matter that um, we tend to not be able to see past our own limited resources to Christ's sufficiency. Matter of fact, that's what was going on with the disciples in the miracle that we just looked at. He starts talking about feeding 5,000, and they, they knew the math. It was more like 20, 25,000. They're looking at the fishes and the loaves. It's like, Lord, what are you talking about? They could not see it past their own resources to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, and we struggle with that often, don't we? And maybe that's an intense struggle for you when you think about reaching out to somebody who is hurting. If any of what I've described fits for you, that's the pair of shoes you walk in, please listen carefully to the perspective of Edward T. Welch of the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation in a book called Side by Side. Love that title. May God even use this and the example of Christ's compassion to call you to be side by side with somebody.
In our era, we consult experts, professionals, and specialists. But when you look at history, excuse me, at your own history of having been helped, it's likely that you'll notice very few experts among those who have helped you. Who were your helpers? Were they professional counselors or specialists? Probably not. By the way, Edward Welch, the reason I told you what the organization he's a part of, he's a professional counselor and expert. So he can get away with saying this, and he can know that people aren't, he he is not in any way minimizing the value of that. Don't hear me to minimize the value of it. But do hear what he is valuing and maximizing the value of. He says, most often, the people that helped you were friends. The regular, everyday people in your life. Friends are the best helpers. They come prepackaged with compassion and love. All they need is wisdom, and that's available to everyone. He says, it's a perfect system. If God used only experts and people of renown, some could boast in their own wisdom, but God's way of doing things is not the same as our way. We ordinary people have been given power and wisdom through the Holy Spirit and are called to love others. From this beginning, we're compelled to move toward others rather than to stay away. He concludes in this way. And so I'm writing to people like me who are willing to move toward other struggling people but are not confident that they can say or do anything very helpful. Do you sometimes feel like you can say or do nothing that is helpful? God's ready to use you. If you feel quite, listen to this, this describes it for so many of us, right? If you feel quite weak and ordinary, are there any of you that feel quite weak and ordinary in situations like this? (laughs) Love the honesty. Uh, If you feel like a mess but have the spirit, you have the right credentials. You are one of the ordinary people that God uses to help others. My wife, Leslie, not able to be with us here today, but you will see her on the screen because she agreed to tell you and me about a time she felt very weak and ordinary, very unqualified to help a young friend who was deeply deeply grieving. While living in Mount Shasta, California, I was friends with a young gal named Elizabeth. She played handbells in the youth choir that I directed at my church. She was homeschooled, and her mom and younger sister would come to watch the rehearsals each week. When Elizabeth was 12 years old, her mother was in a tragic car accident. A very drunk driver drove his camper onto the freeway traveling in the wrong direction against oncoming traffic. He hit the car Elizabeth's mom was driving head-on and killed her instantly. Elizabeth's entire world changed drastically in that moment. After hearing the news, I went to her house. I had no previous training in grief counseling, and I didn't know what I would say to her. I stood in the living room with many friends and family, but I didn't see Elizabeth. I asked if I could see her, So her grieving dad went and got her. She came out of her bedroom into the living room and I put my arms out to hold her. She melted into my chest and sobbed and sobbed. I didn't have words of wisdom or any Bible verses to recite. Instead, I just held her and cried with her for a very long time. 
I felt like I had nothing to offer her, but God used me to extend his love to this dear child.